We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Euro 2020 arrives to spare us having to focus entirely on transfer rumors and spare Arsenal from having to actually do any transfers. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We are on the doorstep of the Euros. We are on the brink, the brink of a tournament that you could say is almost as prestigious as uh, what the United States just won, the CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, So prestigious, in fact, that I think it required us to win two games to win it. Uh, The second game being complete batshit madness. So uh, if you're into that sort of thing, it was full on CONCACAF. And uh, I have to say I enjoyed it from a purely uh, spectacle standpoint. There was also fan unruliness. There was there was CONCACAF refereeing drama. Everything you look for from this region. But UEFA, well, they've got a slightly bigger, if not more prestigious tournament starting. If you missed it yesterday, Phil Costa uh, joined me to profile every team, every group, a full-on preview of the Euros. And we will have a daily episode throughout the tournament every day of the week. And sometimes on the weekends, depending how it plays out, there'll probably be 30 minutes or so recapping the day's games, headlines, key players, and, and looking ahead to the next big game. So should be fun and, and something to get you through the tournament, hopefully get you excited about it and invested in it if you're not. And if you are invested in it, a place that you can stay and get your uh, news about the tournament and content about the tournament without having to wander off to some other podcast. We can't have that happening. And then you come back here with your other podcast germs on you and we start sharing podcast germs and that's how things spread. And haven't we had enough of things spreading? Just stay here. We got you covered. Uh, but if you do want to spread some germs, you can join us in Las Vegas to do that. Uh, August 19th to 22nd. We are now just days away from the official announcement. The website going up with the registration. It's going to be completely free. There'll be discounts for rooms at the fabulous Win Las Vegas, August 19th to 22nd. Uh, Clive will be there. Paul will be there. Scott will be there. I will be there. Jessica Black will be there. Uh, there will be some, I hate this word, but influencers. There'll be some uh, uh, broadcast people there and and just generally, hopefully a lot of good Arsenal fans. I know Arsenal America is getting behind it. So we're really excited and, and hope that we will see you there. I think that's probably enough of that, and we should get to the football. There's transfer rumors to talk about and Euros to cover, so we will speed through all of that with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. I'll pause. Woohoo! Influencers. What am I? Chopped liver? Uh, yes, literally. Literally <laughs> chopped liver. Uh, when I see you, I am going to uh, uh, de- put some kind of sauce on you and eat you. Uh, Ava yeah. beans. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stubberdo. Hello, Tim. Hello there. 
Yep, yep. And then uh, uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Pod's off to a flyer, as ever. Um, Sue, we should probably push on then. Um, Clive, I think first let's do a quick whip around of transfer stuff, transfer rumors. One of the the things that I've been following pretty closely is the situation with Onana. Um, it, it feels like the Leno relationship getting getting potentially strained. I mean, you hate to say it's getting strained just because someone reported that it's getting strained because that could mean it is or it could mean it isn't, but that certainly is being reported at least at some level. And so now Onana's ban is reduced. So what's your feeling on where this is heading i don't think first choice goalkeeper is a situation that arsenal would have liked to have had to prioritize this summer um do you think leno could even go this summer we could wind up bringing in in two one of them being onana i don't know <laughs> i think um, that's not going to cover it I, I need you to say definitively what will happen and then we'll yeah, make fun of you when you're wrong mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i'm more interested in, in the style of goalkeeper that onana is actually and um he is uh he is he's pretty good. He's different. He's very, very front footed and he's very spectacular and very strong and physical in what he does and yeah, we won't miss him if he ever plays for Arsenal, that's for sure. We won't miss him. And so you know, there's lots of players that lots of people that say that, that position is underdeveloped and he's the sort of goalkeeper that is the next the next generation potentially. You know, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting if you do see him. It's going to be interesting to see what he does and how we accept him. And because he he looks fantastic, but he looks like he's got a mistake in him all day long as well. You know, so um, but he won't die. He won't die wondering. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Mm. He's very brave in whatever he does. So I love to see people. I love to see the development of football. Full stop, and how it can develop. And when you watch the clips of him moving the ball, saving the ball, everything's just big. He's just big and. I like that, you know, and there are different ways to look at goalkeeper. You look at one, you've got a goalkeeper that's just basically full of presence like him, and you've got a goalkeeper looking, looking back in history like David Seaman that you didn't really see and he just catch the ball with very little fuss because his feet were so good and he could read the flight, etc. Also full but, of presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so basically, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm excited by the thought of him. i got to say that. i got to say that. I think... He will be at an interesting dynamic to the team if we were able to get him on on Leno himself. Let's see what happens. He's got two years to go. He can go after one year. And there were rumours around the relationship with the goalkeeping coach. Not too sure. I'm, I'm not surprised, to be fair, because as soon as the goalkeeping coach came on board, he wanted David Rea to come in. It doesn't make you feel confident when someone comes in, someone you're going to work with every single day, and he wants to bring in his his own goalkeepers doesn't make you feel as though the club is long-term for you. So totally understand why you could be a bit miffed. But, hey, let's see what happens. I'm, I'm not too worried. But, no, no, that is, could be a smart Arsenal move. Do you worry it, that, yeah. because the prices being quoted were a fraction of what he would have been once upon a time, do you worry that the the reduction in the ban might lead other clubs to poke around, drive drive the price up a bit? Uh, could do. I think anywhere between, it was $2 million to $7 million And, yeah, I, it could happen. But let's see, there was a time when he was over 40, 50, 60 million at one time in, in the good old days pre-COVID and when he was just off the back of the Champions League realm, against, particularly against Spurs, where he did really, really well. A lot of those games leading up to that did well. So, yeah, let's see what happens. I, I don't fret. I'm trying to be really sanguine about rumours. I'm trying to enjoy them all. You know, mm. I'm trying to enjoy them and take them for what they are and use them as an opportunity to research that player 
and see how they could mesh in our team rather than get hung up on each player like I used to do, not so distant. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think there's an interesting point here, which is when we're linked with a player, the right thing to do is probably try to understand that player as fully as possible, prepare yourself in terms of the knowledge that you can have about that player without deciding whether you like or hate the move right away because rumors tend not to be true and most moves tend not to happen. Then when the move does happen, you will be fully prepared for maximum outrage. So I think don't use up the outrage on the rumor. Use that as the time to educate yourself so you have prepared the information necessary to write a 20-tweet thread on why the move is terrible once he shows up on the official website wearing an Arsenal shirt. So, uh, Paul, in terms of Onana, the, the, the ban being reduced can train as early as September, play as early as November. Before we talk Onana, I don't really understand the Leno situation, and I mm. find a lot of things about it confusing. One thing is just, Taking the temperature of the fan base just on social media is dangerous, so you can always get it wrong. But it seems like there's not a lot of love for him, particularly. I feel like people just really liked Emmy Martinez, and some people would have preferred we kept him. I I don't know that Leno has ever been anything other than really good, if not elite with his feet, certainly elite with his shot stopping and saves, and you know really rescued us in a lot of situations. I don't think he's been bad enough to be disliked, and I certainly think he's been good enough to be liked. I still feel like there isn't a warmth to him. And I, again, always hard to take the temperature of the fan base over social media. So that, that could be wrong. But something seems to have, have short-circuited here. Are you surprised that there isn't more of an attachment to a player who, by my sort of eye test, seems like he's been pretty good for us? Yeah, I am. I, some people seem to, like, I think you and me are in that camp. Uh, and some people, I think, uh, blogs, I, I've heard him make the point a number of times too. Mm. And others, but I think on the whole, excuse me. <coughs> I didn't know you liked him that much, man. Yeah, yeah. Come on, keep it together. He's not that special. <laughs> Getting to me, guys. Um, no, I think on the whole, you're. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're, you're Is he right. your brother? <laughs> I'm trying to make up for the lack of passion in the fan base all on my own. Uh, I think you're right. There's a, in general, we're kind of a little cold to him, uh, maybe a little ungrateful. One doesn't want to get into gratitude for players. That all gets all. Yeah, they, they get paid enough. Quick. That's their gratitude. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like this year's just a very interesting, overused term, microcosm um, of the relationship with Leno and the travails of Arsenal. I mean, we started heavily leaning on this playing out from the back. And I think he got pretty good at playing at it. And, uh, you know, it was the kamikaze playing out, the good kind of kamikaze. And uh, we got quite good at it. And, you know, people would say that's the one part of our game we're pretty good at. And he got good with his feet and his his medium long-term distribution, long-range distribution wasn't great. But that seemed to improve, too. And then we kind of backpedaled from total kamikaze playing out to just kind of doing it um, in open play, not so much from from uh, kickouts, uh, we kind of dialed it back a bit and um, weren't as committed to it. And then we had some mistakes, uh, coincidentally, at the same time, and we kind of dialed back it a little bit. And then I didn't think he was quite as good or we were quite as good at it, and he looked a little more nervy at it. And it was almost like we weren't as committed, and so mentally we weren't quite into it. I don't think it's his natural game, and it may be where we very much think we want to go. And if you look at City's keeper and you look at Liverpool's keeper, uh, 
they've made a distinct commitment to getting a, not just adapting a, a, a good all-rounder keeper, but getting a guy who's a bit of a lunatic with the ball at his feet, um, which is where Onana comes in. Um, and so, you know, maybe from Leno's side, he's not feeling quite the same level of love when he sees the efforts last year. Uh, maybe the reaction of the fan base, but I don't think that is too much to it. I think these players mainly care what the manager and their squad and the club thinks about them. Um, but yeah, we're we're kind of funny about Leno. I, I, the other thing I remember about him was when we were going through our toughest patch, he was one of the guys who would come to the microphone and speak well on behalf of the club and what we needed to do and what the squad needed to do and that we needed to pull up our socks. And I think he handled himself very well. Uh, you know, stood tall, which is easier for him than others, but um, did his job as a spokesperson for the squad when we were at our crappest. Um, I've always liked him, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think maybe the stylistic differences he kind of sees over the last season or so, a bit of a, we like you, but we don't, but you're not the future kind of feeling from Arsenal, and he wants to He's looking at his moves, they're looking at their moves, and maybe something will happen. I, I guess I assumed it would be next summer, though. Seems too early for us to get into a goalkeeper thing um, in terms of a full-on swap. Uh, I assumed we were getting a backup goalkeeper who might challenge him next season, and he'd be fine with that because he was ready for a Bundesliga move or something. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that's hard for me is that I really want to be excited about what we're going to do this summer. And so that starts by feeling good about the process. And, you know, reading what uh, James, what Gunnar Blog wrote in The Athletic about, like, what we want to do with goalkeeper, for example, is they're saying it. the perception is that Arsenal don't want a number two, a clear backup. They want someone who will compete for the position. You know, two number ones competing for the position. And it's just like, is that a thing? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that no number two has ever beaten out a number one, but, like, is, is that a thing you want to be doing? Devoting resources to having two very good keepers, no real competitions to split it up, and having a keeper competition for the starting position? Like, I've never... That's not a thing that I'm familiar with clubs actively seeking to do, and I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure I understand why you'd want to do that. I'd because, like to interpret that as bringing in a, a new talent like Anana and saying come in and compete with Leno. But in brackets, probably this is Leno's year and probably next year. But hey, go for it, man. Go for it. Yeah, it's just like, I think with Keeper, you want a guy who knows I'm the number one, I go out there, I play every game, and I'm going to, you know, I don't know that competition helps a Keeper where that confidence that the, that the gloves are yours is so important. And also that, you know, just the, the fact of, of how resources get allocated, your keeper is unlikely to miss time. So you don't need a great backup. Like if you have a 20 million pound keeper sitting on your bench who plays twice a season, you've misallocated resources. I, I just, I kind of hope that's not the case. I hope that what we'll do is if it's Onana, fine, we go get him. Maybe Leno leaves after this next season. Leno starts when Onan is not available and we move on. But two of them seems like an over, overstretch. One thing that does look like decent process, Tim, I think we sort of screwed up with Enkedia. I think it's fair to say that yes. Arteta really, really, really likes the player, talked himself into the idea that he had a role for him, and then really when the season got sticky and, and things got pretty important, he didn't have a role for him. And I have some sympathy for Arteta because... When you really like a player and you talk yourself into the idea that you'll find a role for him, 
but he's not quite good enough for you to find that role. That is tricky. He probably should have gone out on loan. He probably should have been sold the summer before, but now he has one year left on his deal, and he's probably at the absolute lowest valuation he'll ever be because he did not play most of this season. It looks like, based on reporting, we are about to extend him, give him a new contract. Now, I think there are people that would look at that and say, my God, this club, like we we just can't make a decision on anyone, can we? But I actually see this a different way, which is, we extend him, we send him out on loan. Ideally, he thrives on loan, and then you can sell him having rehabilitated some of his value instead of leaving on a free. Because right now, if we don't extend him, it's sell at probably the bottom of his value or let him leave for free in, in a year. So do you think that this is sort of block and tackle stuff where we're probably doing the right thing, or does it concern you that maybe we this is a sign that we're still not making decisions on players? No, it, it does concern me. I, I mean, it concerns me certainly looking backwards. You know, you know, I was saying in January, like, at, like absolutely sell him. I didn't see a role for him at all, uh, particularly once Martinelli came back. And if anything, I'm surprised he played as much as he did, which was not very, very much. I just didn't see a role for him. I just didn't see why we were so keen to hold on to him when it looked like there was there were interest there was interest in him and i just think january is a brilliant time to sell a not you know a good but not great striker because there is a big market for a good but not great striker in january when clubs are looking at the table and going shit we don't want to get relegated um lot, lots of deals go down at that time of year liverpool have done a few of those um so i i really didn't understand why we held on to what we were holding on to him for in the first place so it does concern me. Um, I guess with the striker situation, we just have to wait and see how it all shakes out and what happens with Lacazette, for example, because we had a big conversation, didn't we, on the last pod about that kind of backup striker position and how for a season at least, it's it's kind of difficult to sit like we've got a very clear number one and probably in Balogun, we've got a very clear number three, but that number two spot is less clear and we spoke about Martinelli, but... I suppose the other balls up in the air are, yeah, you can extend in Inketia a year and then try and sell him next, next summer, although we'll just be in the same position then. I think his value peaked in January when he scored a few goals in the Europa League and um, was a bit more involved when Martinelli wasn't fit. Um, or uh, or do we just keep Lacazette till the end of his contract? Because, um, you know in lieu of any half-decent offers for him. And he might be prepared to do that because he'll probably get a better contract at the end of it and he can probably expect to play some minutes for Arsenal. So I, I get the sense there are some balls up in the air there. I, I still think just selling Ketter. Like, Nketiah is, is not going to make it to the level that we want. Like, just sell. Um, I don't think he would be... I, I don't think he'd accept a contract offer and neither should he. I think he would probably say, no, I want to go. And if you can't get maximum value for you, well, too bad. That's your fucking fault for being so stupid. Um, and, you know, I, that's what I'd say if I were him. So uh, I, I'd still absolutely sell. I don't understand. I, I understand why we didn't sell last summer, but definitely in January, a, a loan at least um, to build that value. I don't understand why you do that now and not, um, January and and I'm really concerned that first of all Arteta thought that was necessary and secondly that Edu wasn't in his ear saying no we we don't need um, we don't need this guy anymore um, ju- but just to finish on the Leno uh, thing by the way I should just point out that remember Leno wasn't the first choice when we bought him um, Petacek started ahead of him so there is 
um, like a historical precedent, a precedent rather for buying that first choice goalkeeper when you've ostensibly got a first choice goalkeeper, albeit it was an aging Petr Cech. Mm. I mean, I, I guess some of this though is going to come down to Enkedia, right? Because if you're the player, you're 22. Why would you sign a new deal yep. to protect Arsenal's value, knowing you're either going to yeah. get loaned out and kick the can down the road on your career, or you're going to sit the bench most of the season with very limited opportunities to play? When some, I mean, look, you're you're, you're an English player who thrived at the youth level. You've had some success at Arsenal. I think his his skill set is known. Okay, his value is depressed, but that probably helps him negotiate for a bigger wage, frankly. So if you're the player, do you maybe have the power to decide how this turns out by not agreeing to the new deal? And Because totally. the one thing Arsenal can't do is lose an Eddie and Kedia for free after all these years. You're going to have to recoup something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if I if I were him, I wouldn't sign in a million years. I don't understand what would be in it for him to sign, particularly without um, a Europa League group stage, which which is exactly where he made his value last year. And um, you know, I, I don't understand why we sent Joe Willock out. Well, no, I understand why we sent Joe Willock out on loan. But I look at that and I think, yeah, that that's great because we're either. We've either built the guy's value or we're getting back someone with more Premier League experience and goals. Win-win. Why did we think that Eddie Nketiah sitting in a suit in the stand for five months was the way to go? I, I just um, I, I can't understand that. I, I just don't know what they were thinking, um, to be honest. And, and well, Wasn't the issue that, in part, Lacazette had not been in form in the first half of the season? Um Arteta was obviously fighting for his life at that point. And in terms of style, he still liked that central striker that he kind of grouped Laka and Eddie together. And he hadn't, you know, it's not like he had bedded in a new system that he could take to the bank. So, you know, he wanted the Laka. He wanted goals in the front three. We saw him playing Aubameyang from the left. So the, there's kind of a rationale for why he would keep Laka slash Eddie, when Eddie played, it was in the first half of the season, even if not that much. So, like, I don't think in hindsight, it's it, it was the wrong move for Eddie and probably the wrong move for us. Mm. Um, yeah, but, but, but also from where you are in January, I don't think like if you want a bit of an insurance policy with Eddie, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world keeping him around and you can still. You'll be uh, shocked to know I disagree, but go ahead, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, like, Lacazette yeah. really came back into form in, like, New Year. And so by the end of January, I, I think it was absolutely abundantly clear. And there but was, you know, there were made in December. Hang on, let, yeah, let him. Yeah, yeah but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I do think these deals can be done pretty quickly. I think they, they tend to be in January. I, I think quite, quite a lot you see clubs do that in January. Go, oh, okay, let's see where we are, like January the twenty fifth or something, and we can revive something. I, I don't know how true they were. There were a lot of reports that West Ham were interested and Arsenal like publicly flattened that and said, nope, player not for sale. And I, yeah, I, d I don't understand why you're that firm on a player who then didn't make the squad for three months. Like, and it's, it's the squads are big now. It's not like you've got three subs, like, you know, you, you've got, a, there's a lot of substitutes there and he wasn't even getting on the bench. I, ju I, I just don't get it. I've yeah, Clive, I, I want to get your take on this. And, and look, sometimes I think we, we tend to overanalyze stuff. Sometimes if it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a fire breathing dragon. But most of the time it's a duck. And like 
Arteta loves Enkedia. Arteta talked himself into the idea that he would use Enkedia because he loves Enkedia. Arteta could not find a use for Enkedia. Like, I, I don't think it's super complex. And the one reason, in general, I I think where, Paul, where you and I differ the most, I just think we are way too conservative as a club taking options that are like, this is just a safe sound. Like, it's great to have this backup. It's great to have this this auxiliary plan and reserve. I, I think scrap that shit. Sell it all. Take risk. Collect money. Move players on. Find solutions if, if it comes to Probably not it. when you're about to get sacked, though. Yeah, but but I don't care about Arteta's job. I care about the club, right? You so know like, who else might have got sacked? Edu. Yeah, I, I, well, that. but isn't that the So, like, so who's I, I want to bring Clive in, but to be fair, that is the problem, isn't it? I mean, Clive, ultimately, when a manager starts <laughs> making personnel decisions that maybe aren't in the club's best interest because he's worried his job is on the line, in a really well-run mm. club, someone might put a hand on his shoulder and say, you know what, this guy, we've got to move on. I'm sorry, you're going to have to make it work somehow else. But there isn't that hierarchy at the club. And so Ankedia got lost in the mix in a similar way that Nelson did, although the, the circumstances are di- different. But why don't you weigh in on, on Ankedia? Could I, mean, I add one, three words, which is that it was also in the club's best interest for neither of them to get sacked. So... That that's like six six podcasts. So we'll come to that later. But I do take your point, uh, Clive. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things happened. Really, I think West Ham were in for him. And again, if you believe the rumors, which I do, every one of them, the price we asked for was too high. Did you see and the title then, of our last podcast episode? All transfer rumors are true. Just in case. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love I love transfer rumors, so it didn't bother me. And so and so the price we asked for was too high. And so we, I think West Ham, if I remember rightly, they didn't they move on Sebastian Haller at Christmas to Ajax, wasn't it? I think it was Ajax, and basically, they, everyone thought it was going to come in and buy in Ketia, and they, it didn't really happen. And but another thing happened: Martinelli tweaked his knee or ankle. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. When he tweaked his knee and ankle, and I think that maybe forced Arteta to freeze, unlike Arsenal, to freeze <laughs> for a minute, and. Um, and I think then, I think he realised, he actually said, I've, I've let him down, I, I haven't found the minutes for him. Martelli's come back, starts hitting his straps, and we all know what happens then. I believe there was other loan offers. There were lots of loan offers. If you got a loan offer for a player, you just see one of your other young players go down. I will take what Paul said about Lacazette's form, but I can't quite remember that. He's gone ultra-cautious. And now Martelli's flying. We're thinking, oh, mate, you should have got rid of him in January. You know, because he just wasted six months of his life. The contract offer for me is about value protection. Yeah, when you I get a that. contract offer, it doesn't mean that you know everyone's assuming he's getting double the wages, right? He could be getting one pound extra, and that could be just part of the the HR process to to offer you a contract. But that contract number tells you what the club thinks of you, and so and it could be a value protection thing. So. Let's see what happens. I think it would be, be good for him if he moved on. There are rumours of Watford, and that's a nice move for him. He hasn't got to even move house or anything like that. Just jumps over the edge, and away he goes back to training. So I think that would be a nice move for him, and he will play. He will play, he, and, and that's what he needs to do at this age. He needs to play. He's, had, he's done well for Arsenal. He's done well for the youth. He's hit a bit of a wall. Go and play, son. Go and play in the Premier League and see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I think in general, there's like, look, if you have unlimited resources, unlimited squad sides, the idea of having 
a lot of good backup plans or players in reserve or players available to you if things don't go quite right makes a lot of sense. But I think when you are trying to rebuild and you have limited resources and you want to sort of maximize that for a longer term project like we are in, you know, I think you have to be a little more decisive. And in general, I know I bang on about it, but I do think Arsenal struggle to be decisive. And I think obviously a young manager going through challenges early in his career is going to struggle to be decisive, especially with players he really likes. I think a young director of football who doesn't have his feet under him necessarily yet and is more of an equal to the manager rather than a superior is going to defer to the manager's decision-making. I'm not saying it's a Can we just agree that we lack decisiveness for probably about three to five years? Absolutely. Can we just agree that? Yeah. Because there was a time when we would be moving players on and we'd all be crying because it's too soon. Now we move people on far too late and then we everything's clear about what, what we think about them because they've played their way out of the, the league group, which means they've played their way out of maximum potential value. So, and, and I'd go the other direction to some extent, Clive, which is I, I've come around on this. I think selling too early is probably better than selling too late. Like, be, yeah, because if I you're agree. getting a really good fee for the odds are most players won't make it won't turn out to be as good as you think like we were sad to lose Alex Lab. we were kind of sad to lose Alex Song we were sad to lose Alex Awobi all of the Alexes left we had no Alexes our Alexes were taken from us hell Alexis left <laughs> and none of I them like were the any Alex. good anyway <laughs> The Alexis, Alex, 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 they were all bad. Club was terrible. Song was terrible. Iwobi has been pretty terrible, I hate to say it. And Alexis was done, dusted, and terrible. So, like, at, I'm not saying you have to sell an Eddie. But if the Alexes have taught us anything, it's at a minimum sell them if their name is Alex, but probably sell them, period. Um, Clive, Can I say one yeah, last thing uh, on please. this one? Please. Can, can it be in the form of a ridiculous thing like I just did, or is it going to be more legitimate? No, it'd be, it'd be half sensible. Okay. It's just basically... There's a criteria. I mean, you guys have taught me this. There's a criteria for selling players. We've got a homegrown player that's in his early 20s, that's got X amount of minutes in the Premier League, X amount of goals in European competitions, got European experience. CV doesn't look too bad. Do you see what I mean? Mm. If he has a bit of extra length for his contract, then he's going to get sold at a decent number. That's what should happen. Yes. And... You know, he's done the work. He's built up his CV. So we should get paid. Let's let's watch this space. Well, the other thing that I think we look at from a process standpoint, besides decisiveness, is cohesiveness. Does the plan make sense? So, Clive, let me just ask you this. We're linked with Lakonga now. We're linked with Tyler Adams. We're linked with Neves. We're linked with Basuma. The problem with links is that two of those could be wrong and two of them could be right. All of them could be right. All of them could be wrong. It's not so much that I hate any of those links. Obviously, some I like more than others. It's that I don't see any of them as being the same thing. Now, to be fair, the Adams link is probably at right back. So let's set that aside. But like, if you want Ruben Neves or Basuma, I would say to you, you're looking at two different things. If you want Lakanga, you're looking at a third different thing. So, Clive, how do you parse rumors that make it seem like we're targeting the right area of the pitch but don't have a clear sense of the qualities we want from the players we're targeting. I'm trying to get myself to care a bit less because Lukonga, I did not know existed three weeks ago. I think caring a bit less so about literally- Arsenal would be a really safe thing to do. I just find it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I and I get you know I get fixated on people, just like most people do. And I, in in the Premier League, I look at what we need to have, and I think, oh, Basuma's the best option. 
and I, and I decide. And then I see a video of Lakonga, and then I think, crikey, that's a different way to go about it. And then I see a video of Ruben Neves spraying the ball to all sides of the pitch. I think, well, that's, no, that's an interesting way to go. Then I see Tyler Adams sprinting into collisions all over the pitch. I'm thinking, crikey, you're good. And, and Ameri- I, I American, exactly by the way, that critical American. Yeah. Maybe Stan Kroenke would start paying attention to the club if an American played for it. Yeah, well, I, again, I know about him, but now I've had a close look at him. My goodness, he, he's good. Suddenly, he puts all the Max Allens into your into your back pocket. The other day, I was talking about Zeki Chelik playing at right back. He looks sensible and good. Got connections with Lille, the link there, and how he can play against Pepe with Pepe. Sorry, I love them all. I love them all. And let's see, I, honestly, but to have a look at them and then try to look at the. I'll tell you why I like them. I like how they play. They're forward thinking bombastic pressers move mobile i like them all they all bring something that we haven't got you know and that and that's what excites you about and when i see people that don't bring anything new then i think ah, we are we getting this right you know so um i really like these links and uh, i just hope a few of them are true you know what i mean and we choose the right ones i've weaned myself back off wendy i'm thinking okay there are other tens out there there are other players Who's the one we spoke about this morning, Tim, that we spoke Is that Leon, um, the Brazilian Lucas, guy? Lucas uh, Baqueta. Yeah. Now, again, a week ago, knew nothing about him. He scored a goal for Brazil last night. Well, let me let me check him out again. Looks absolutely a dream of a player. Right? And so, don't do this. There's so much talent out there. So much talent. And so, don't worry about the process. Worry about what happens. Then we talk about the process when they arrive and they put the shirt on and stand against that white wall with the red letters then we can say, okay, what are we trying to do? I think what's really clear, we must, must have a clear idea of our process once they've signed. And then say, what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to do? If that's not clear, Elliot, I'll let you loose. You can say what you like. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's impossible to, to map <laughs> Paul? Yeah, go ahead. process to rumors. I mean, that, that is true because, let, like, for example, let's say the, the Basuma rumor is true and all the other ones are false. Well, then you've just decided that our process doesn't make sense based on three untruths and what, right? I, I I totally agree. I think, first of all, I do want to give some credit to the journalists who work hard at this. There's a perception that all transfer rumors are false and no transfer rumors are true. And I think that's a discredit to the people that do have sources and connections, but also the club could be briefing for all kinds of reasons. So I to absolutely agree with you, but Paul, I mean, do you think that there is, because, you know, I, I look at the links all yeah. over. Like, the links that we can probably agree on is it seems pretty clear Awar, Buendia, and Odegaard were on the radar. I don't think mm-hmm. you'd regard them as total, total, you know, same analogs. analogs that thank you for words talking yeah. in a microphone. Um, do, but so do no, you... No, I, I think mean, they're all, they're, all three are quite different. <clears throat> um, but I'm not, not sure there's anything to Awar. You know, here here's how I stretch a... a a tent over this that camel, uh, which is we're clearly interested in Odegaard. We know what he is. We're we're not sure where that's that's at. We could be left with nothing. So we gotta we want to keep our Buendia could make something work, different kind of player, but brings us something in the ten spot with the, with the additional gold, but maybe not a cerebral. We want to keep interested, so we get involved in the bidding process. It gets really serious. We're not ready because we're still kind of hooked on Odegaard. We were hoping that that would be kicked down the road to just after the Euros where we know if we have Odegaard. And Awar is uh, the rumors from last year. And 
you know, maybe in a fire sale and, no, no, you know, are we interested? Kind of. Are we interested in Basuma? <clears throat> sure we are. Do we do we really think he's coming here and we'll spend the money they're looking for? And is he the perfect fit? No, but we'll probably take him if if uh, the price is great. It's later on in the window and the 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 style of player we're looking for, which I would guess at the moment is more Neves, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice-ish, i.e. Neves. Now, there's differences in those players, but there's a there's this commonality in how those guys play. And I mentioned the other two just kind of that's how I view Neves, a, maybe a less athletic version of those two guys, but basically doing the same thing for their team. I think we're looking for Neves. Would we cry in our beer if we couldn't get the, the Neves we want and Eve Basumo was actually available later on in 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 the in the summer? I'm sure we'd say, ooh, good price. Great player, we can make this work. Mm. I mean, Tim, do you have a strong feeling about this? It is, it is so so dangerous to take cues about your club from rumors, but we also have past issues with the club not necessarily looking like they were completely um, in alignment on, on what the plan was. So, I would certainly say if you have misgivings or if you have concerns. It's not unwarranted, but basing it off rumors is tricky. Do you get a sense? I mean, Lakonga, Basuma, Neves, like I could talk myself in any, Tyler Adams. I could talk myself in any of these targets. I'm not saying they blow my hair back, but, you know, I, I don't know that any of them are bad players. And I, I think in a couple of those cases, I'd be pretty excited. But does the the lack of a, a cohesiveness about that concern you in any respect? Do you have any concern that the plan doesn't look um, like it's targeting any one particular type of skills? Not really, um, just because there's there's for, for everything we do know, and we do know a lot thanks to um, some of the journalists you reference. Like, it's not very often that Arsenal sign someone and you don't know about it. Like, give or take a Matt Ryan on loan. Um, usually, you know about it weeks before it's it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, but there, you know, there is the kind of um, you know the rumor mill and how much of it is true and how much of it is agent talk and things like that. I mean, really, the simple answer is wait and see at the end of the window how it all shakes out, and you can go from there. But um, I'd say, I'd say, like on in terms of targeting different types of player, that doesn't concern me quite as much, just because again, um, like there might be a couple of different ways that Arsenal are willing to go on a player. You know, they might there might be like a plan A and a plan B. Um, and and also you, you can never really tell exactly how a team is is going to utilize a player when they sign them. Like nobody can tell me when Liverpool signed Genie Wijnaldum, they were thinking, yeah, we'll get this guy because he's really good at um, he's really good at predicting where clearances will land, mm. and he's really good at helping Liverpool to keep teams under pressure. Like like no one thought that when when they signed him, and and when Liverpool signed Mane, I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, thought, yeah, he looks quite an interesting player. Not sure he's worth 32 million, and then after a season, it's like, yeah, he's probably worth triple that <laughs> because of the way they used him. So, like we can take good guesses at these things for me it's i think it's more your your former point there which is just we don't really trust arsenal if we trusted them more i don't think we'd look in and and the thing is we're looking for reasons to trust them right so that makes you go a little bit deeper on things it reminds me a little bit about when um a lot of arsenal fans and i understand this talk about you know improved communication from the club and things like that and actually 
what improved communication is tell me some lies <laughs> tell me some really <laughs> flattering lies because i can mm. see what's happening and it's a bit crap so please tell me that what i'm seeing is wrong and, and actually the truth is nope what you're seeing is the truth um and you you kind of just want to be lied to a little bit um and and that's i think that's what we're doing here there is just a mistrust um and i think it is worth reflecting on and and like don't get me wrong that mistrust is not misplaced at all but i do also think it's worth reflecting on some of the good stuff we've done in the market over the last couple of years the, the likes of tin it like tin is a steal at 25 million now um e- even with his fitness problems martinelli you know there ha- there has been some good work um done there so i i don't worry about it as much but then again to be honest i don't really zoom in on the minutiae until it's all done i like i i'm not into the transfer rumors personally i like the beginning bit which is now the drawing board i like trying to guess where we might go and how we might get there and then i like the end bit when i go okay this is what we've got how's Mm. this all going to fit together the middle bit personally i i just don't get as invested in it yeah and and you're not into transfer rumors, and I think it's fair to say then, you know, to everybody listening, you can uh, mute Tim's account until about September, maybe mid-August. <laughs> um, you know, you could block him on Twitter until then. Um, yeah, look, the, the rumors are challenging because if you invest a lot in the veracity of the rumors, you are going to come away with one very, very strong opinion about the club that may not be backed by any facts. I think we've struggled because we've been in a lot of these situations. The Saliba situation, the Ozil situation, the Ginduzi situation. You know, all of these situations where there have been rumors behind the scenes of issues that we don't know if they exist or not, where we don't know the real reasons for things happening. And so then we have to draw our conclusions based on which rumor or which presumption we put weight in, which is why you see a lot of polarization in the fan base, because you can decide to believe one side of the story and come away with a very different conclusion on a lot of these issues on the other side. If you believe that Ganduzi is an unmanageable prick... You know, you're going to come away with one theory. If you want to, you know, take the perspective that we have a manager who's, you know, an egotistical, self-centered guy who wants everyone to just listen to him and he's a tyrant and he's pushing players away, you're going to come come away with a very different perspective. Usually the truth lies somewhere in the middle, but with transfer rumors, it probably is easier to just wait and see what happens and then evaluate how sharp we were based on what we actually got done. Um, let's do this. Let's shift gears to the Euros. And um, you know, before we do that, we'll take a quick break to hear uh, about Indeed. If you're hiring, you're going to want to know about that. Uh, and if you're hiring, hopefully it is not for a new podcast host for this particular podcast. That that doesn't need to happen, despite the fact that I seem to have lost all of my words today. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with Euros coverage after this. Stay with us. Okay, it's time to tell you about Indeed. If you need to hire right now, it's a perfect time. There's so much talent out there. Maybe you want to hire for a podcast host. Maybe you're a podcast that people love, but they don't like the host so much. Well, Indeed can help you find that, but please not that. Use it for something else. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview. All on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, 
and Indeed skill tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests. Then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Go there now. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Okay, we're back. Uh... Let's talk Euros for a little bit. We did the full Euros preview yesterday, so if you want like every group, game by game, team by team, player by player, we can do that. I think what we should do today is just focus on a couple exciting ones, and we'll start with England for obvious reasons. Clive, I have struggled to really love international football, but when the big tournaments come around, I enjoy them because they're a respite from transfer rumors, they're a respite from being so fixated on Arsenal that you start to lose the forest through the trees, and it's some football to watch to get you through the summer. This uh, tournament, which I think is kind of funny that it's named Euro 2020, like it's not 2020. I get why you're calling it that. Just call it Euro 2021, but whatever, uh, is an interesting one because I'm not sure there's been a more fun England team in a long time in some ways. If you can put your thumb over the screen to cover the part of the pitch that Harry Kane is on, there's going to be a lot of fun players to watch. So do you find yourself really enticed by this England team and in particular just an extraordinarily dynamic group of young players from Sancho to Mount to Saka to, I guess Sterling's not particularly young anymore, Jude Bellingham, Phil Foden. I mean, it's an exciting uh, cadre of young, talented players. Yeah, well, I think it's, this is a, actually a quite a deep topic. And when I get on the Euros, well, maybe I'll go into it a little bit more. But I think what England have done and English football has done over the last 10 years or so with his academy system and what he's done at youth levels it, we're starting to see it now in the first team. And I think it was, was it Greg Dyke that said we, the plan was to win the World Cup by 2022? Well, we can see these players and we're all playing fantasy football, aren't we, with some of them, particularly at the top end of the pitch. And I don't, I have concerns if we're relying on Harry Maguire, but that's where we are. And to be honest, when he was not in the Manchester United team, he they look, they look like half a team. So, um, and so we're starting to see the fruits of his labours. And, and Southgate has been there right from the start with the FA DNA, working with Dan Ashworth and putting in the E-Triple-P and all of these things. And he's gone through the levels and here he is with the first team. And the interesting thing is, post-Russia, we had this team of young, diverse players playing that actually surprised us. And we completely united the nation and it was just fantastic. And all the football matches were great, not just the England games. There were so many high-quality games of really high-wire football. And and now what we've got now is a slightly different situation. The world is in a different place post-pandemic. Lots of division. We're based on you know racial division, let's be honest. Lots of racial division. And suddenly we have this international football team that not only got to reach our expectations on the pitch, but also been given a sizable task to try to unite the fan base that are really pretty polarised and some major, major societal topics. And so I think it's going to be a challenge for England. I really do. If they can overcome some of the, the challenges and some of these softer challenges, this could be something really memorable. I think from a football perspective, 
there is a there's a few gaps there, and I think there's a few expectations I think Southgate may struggle with because rather than just being a unifying figure that's unbelievably emotionally intelligent that can bring a set of people together, bring a set of people together, bring us make England a different team to support. There was a period in my youth you couldn't support England. It's too nationalistic, and he's opened that team up to so many people. And so I'm fully behind what he's trying to do. But when it comes down to it, back to what we do on this podcast, if you make the wrong substitution at the wrong time, <laughs> you're going to get it, mate. And with that talent, I think he's got a lot of expectations on him, you know, to find the right team, to find the right system, to get all everybody's favourites in. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And following on from Russia, where they got to the semis, it's semis or bust, right? Mm. And I'm sure you guys know the second round is going to be, you know, post a group of death. It's going to be very difficult to get past. So, one to watch. But I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous and cautious about some of the things that could happen around the game, which I find a little bit concerning and disappointing. But, hey, I'll stop there. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that sucks for England is they could be really good and draw Germany in the first knockout round and go out and people will say it's a catastrophe when really it's just unlucky because you're going to get that second place team from the Germany, Portugal, France group and any one of those teams can beat England. Um, that that game could be a final, right? That that game is going to be at the level that you're going <clears> to <throat> you're going to have a team in it that would have every right to say they belong in the final. So that's the shame of it. And Tim, I, I think where I can see this heading is... Southgate has the unenviable situation where he's got so much exciting, precocious young talent, but a lot of it is all in the same positions. And so, you know, if Rashford plays and England play poorly, it'll be why didn't Foden play? And if Sancho plays and England play poorly, it'll be why didn't Saka play or, you know, Sterling play? I mean, in any given game, Saka's going to be on the bench, Foden's going to be on the bench, Sterling's going to be on the bench, or Sancho's going to be on the bench, and Rashford's going to be on the bench. It is... And it sets up, in my view, you can already see the articles, you know, yeah. isola- isolated Foden, Foden cuts a sad figure as England crash out. Like, it's going to be whichever whichever talented young player doesn't pick. So, in your view, is there a right way for Southgate to approach that part of it? Because, obviously, getting that part right, I think, is the whole ball of wax. I mean, balancing some mm-hmm. experience, which he has in, you know, some in midfield, some in defense, and obviously with Harry Kane balancing that part with uh, getting the right combination of those those exciting young players. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And that's what I'm not looking forward to, that uh, exactly what you said. If and when England don't win, it will be because of the players they left out. And people have just got to get their head around the fact that in the attacking areas, this is a really deep squad and some good players are going to have to be left out. And really what the manager has to do is tune out some of that noise and just go for balance because we've seen this with um and and so well also the other thing is international football is different it is not as attacking um as club football because you just haven't got the time to get players together and and one of the unfortunate um positions southgate is in is he's pretty much always played sterling and rashford as those wide players and they've both lost form and so he's got grealish and foden i don't think you can play grealish and foden and what a choice that is and he's got sancho and it's a bit like those are the form players but they haven't well foden started the last couple of england games but that really changes your setup and do you do that on the eve of a tournament or do you back the guys who 
um, are much more integrated into the team, probably mesh better with Kane and and hope that that gets you through. So it's, it's going to be difficult from that point of view. It's also difficult because England are weak at the back and will probably have to go with a back three to cover that. And that takes an attacking player out. Um, I, I think like if you look at this tournament, there are a lot of teams that are going with a back three. Um, for those reasons, because they, you know, they can't do that kind of high pressing, get high up the pitch. They don't, they don't have the time with the players to implement that. And um, and I think there's also there's just the perception issue a lot of people have where they don't quite understand that international teams are their own teams, and it's not like you don't just put the eleven best players in. You don't just it's not like player of the month. You don't hand it out as an award or a pat on the back for someone for playing well. So there's, there's all of these factors. And I think in, I, the, the thing, um, I guess the fear I have is that I just don't think Southgate has quite decided on quite a few things. And honestly, I think with international football, you've got to be bloody minded. Um, you, you know, you watch that France team, right? And you look at the names in the France team. It's like, wow, what a team. Look at the if names that aren't them, in the France team. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> if you crazy. ever watch them, they are so boring. Yeah. They are so unbelievable. There isn't, there aren't really many exciting national teams because you can't be exciting because that's just not how it works. So um, on one hand, Southgate's got to tune out some of that noise, but I do think sometimes too much choice is a bad thing. And sometimes you've just got to go, no, this is my team. I, I don't care if you whinge that Rice and Henderson are my are my uh, defensive midfielders and I've got three at the back. And that means I have to lead, like that's that's how that's our best chance of winning the tournament by doing that. And the problem is England probably won't win the tournament because there are lots of strong teams. So it's just one of those things, particularly with England, when you get the, um, you know, the, the ball of analysis becomes so much bigger because everyone's involved. It's not just like your club's fans, like how, how fucking exhausting are we as Arsenal fans after games when you've got the whole country doing that. And then you've got like, um, you know, more casual um, kind of coverage and more casual fans thrown into that. And, you know, you hear all this like, well, he's got to start Grealish. And it's like, OK, fine. So who does he take out? Make that decision. But there's going to be all of that, and and that, to be honest, I'm, I wish I could tune that out, and I'm going to try really, really hard. Yeah, I, I think one fun exercise is just try ranking these players. Forget even positions. I mean, Paul, if you had to sort of loosely rank the the, t- and I don't know if Sterling can be put into this group, but I mean, Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, Saka, Bellingham, Grealish, um, Foden. Do you have sort of a rank in your mind of, again, not positionally, not like who should be playing above, but just where these players are? Do you have any sense of, like, they're all excellent, but most to least, just in terms of where they are in their career at this very moment? Did we lose Paul? We may have. So, I know. So, yes. No, no, I'm here. Sorry, oh, I just a mute issue. No, no problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, run through the names again while I... And well, I'll if you want to just do the forward ones, we can simplify it that way yeah. and say, like, Foden, Sancho, Sterling, Rashford, Saka. Like, if you wanted to organize that group just into a currently where they are right yeah. now, and I'm going to say best to worst, but you know what I mean. There is no worst, but best to least best right now. Well, and and Mount is a factor yeah, too. Mount, although sorry. Yeah, Mount. Sorry, Mount's in that group. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, we could play off the left, I guess. Yeah, I think Foden and Mount are at the moment right at the top 
Uh, and of course, we have a slightly different visibility on Sancho, but he's had a great season. See, I'd have him at the absolute top of the whole thing. Yeah. 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 I, I think he's that good. Yeah. And I think like those are the three, but whether you're playing those, you're already in trouble at that point, right? I think th- those Yeah, because then you got to get Grealish in there somewhere, and Mount's probably playing, you know, there's a similar yeah. role there, so. And Rashford is a force, right? And he's a force for England, and United came second, but it wasn't always great football, and how, you know, exactly how good was Rashford's form? It was good-ish. Uh, yeah, it'd be a hell of a job. Yeah. That's, I mean, not, that's not even worry, worrying about who plays where, but... The obvious um, thing is drop Kane, right? That's the obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, you have to go, don't you? I do, yeah. Okay, pause on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive, that group, um, yep. I mean, how do, you, how do you have it? And if you want to expand it out, I mean, Mount, Grealish, Bellingham, Fote. I mean, it's an incredible group. Would you disagree with me? I have Sancho at the absolute top. I think he is... I think he is one little half cut above any of them. Yeah, I disagree. Uh, I think um, I think he could be if he is used correctly. And what we do, because we've got so many good left-siders, we put him on the right. And I actually think he's more of a 10 or off the left. And when he's coming up for the youth ranks, he's always left. It's him and Hudson Udoi from the left. And I, the, he plays on the right, and obviously he can do it. But trust me, coming on his right foot, going towards goal, he's a different animal, and he can stop and start you know in an instant. I think I think back to Arsenal. We had the discussions, didn't we? We've our two creators, two runners, and England need to make sure with Harry Kane, who is not a runner, we need to make sure we have one person around him that can run through lines. Otherwise, we're going to have a situation where we've got nobody in the box. Harry Kane's got this thing at the moment where he thinks he's almost playing for himself. Brand Kane, and I can do exactly what I like. I can play DM, I can play centre mid, I can drop in there, I can drop in there, which is all great for your brand, Harry, but you're the centre forward. And without people who can run past him, this isn't Tottenham, you need to make sure that you stay in, in the right places. So that would be my message to him. Um, Southgate seems to like Sterling. I, I like Sterling a lot. I think his form is not quite as good as Rashford's, funny enough, which I think in the last game he showed flickers of his form coming back. He's been carrying injury all season, so I'm not sure where he is, but he has you know, dedicated himself to his tournament. He's due an operation. He's going to play. So I think he may start with Kane, Rashford, and I think the, the golden boy is Foden, who I think he's best suited from the right. Now, the problem is now everyone wants to see Grealish in there. They want to see Mount in there. If England plays 3-4-3, three, three, uh, I don't know how they're going to fit those guys in. I, I really don't. Somebody will go, but he'll definitely have a sprinter. Um, Greenish is really showing his hand, but there's there could be up to five, six, seven games, and there are five substitutes. So I stress little about this actually. Just make sure we have a runner that can run through people, keep people pressing, going backwards. The hope of speed is really important. And in some ways, I've got this little thing that I think Kane is a problem for for Greenish. I think they're they're both sort of they're not super fast. Agrees is fast with the ball, and they sort of play in a similar areas. They want to, they want to dictate, they want to drop, want to dictate. So although Greece has done fantastically well, and he's obviously got the personality to play international football, I think Kane's a problem for him. I, I, I do think that, and I think Foden and Mount may get the may get the uh, heads up for the first game with a sprinter around, and um, yeah, and that works for me. And see how we go. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's it's difficult. It's the good kind of difficult, but it is difficult. And and for the first time, I think England, not the first time ever, but you know, England are experiencing some of what maybe like a France deals with when people say, "How are you leaving that guy out?" It is it is a little bit tricky. I mean, Tim, we'll move off England and and finish up with just a couple of the other um, sort of big big exciting teams that are in the tournament, but. Do you have a feeling about that group? I mean, in terms of liking England, I realize it's not a heavy Arsenal presence, but whether it's Bellingham and Mount and and Grealish in sort of a midfield area, or it's Foden and Sancho and um, Sterling and Rashford a little older, obviously, but Saka, it's a group that I feel like is easy to be excited about because they're young and dynamic and really very good. I mean, is that does that give you a little jolt to want to watch more? Because I think... In the past, whatever you could say about England, I don't know if, I don't know if the the talent has been has. There's a lot of sauce in this side, for lack of a better way yeah. to put it. <laughs> yeah, and the, they're they're quite untainted, so it's not um you know it's not the kind of oh god it's John Terry and you know Ashley Lampard Cole and Gerard and uh, yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> and and Rooney and you know you look at like the United presence in there as Harry Maguire and Marcus Rashford and I, I don't think and and look maybe that's a little bit of a symbol of of us kind of of Arsenal not being that competitive anymore but maybe it's also because um, they're young and we haven't had the chance to think of them yeah. that way yet <laughs> yeah know? and they they haven't really well some of them most of them have only really done one international tournament and that was a world cup semi-final so they're they're not that tainted a group um in that respect and and look maybe i i think what clive said earlier about southgate kind of opening the england team back up um to people is is quite right um and maybe we're just getting like a different type of footballer maybe it's just like a bit random um but you know you're getting like people like marcus rashford um, who are you know who are who are, who are like positive role models and um, for want of a better phrase and someone like Raheem Sterling who is who's a guy a lot of people root for because they can see the way he was treated by you know the right wing tabloids and everything like that and 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 also I get the sense that there's quite a good spread of club representation here as well so um, you know there's players from Everton and Aston Villa and and things like that so it's I guess it's by by accident or design it's been slightly kind of detoxified so um yeah absolutely and and also there are fewer Spurs players fewer Spurs that, players and and you know what like city players don't offend me in the same way no that, like I don't, I don't care and, about Man City yeah. at all and no. you've got a couple from Dortmund. You've got one from Arsenal. You know, Sancho's Dortmund, Bellingham's Dortmund, Grealish's Villa for now anyway. Um, Saka's Arsenal, thankfully. Rashford is likable, mostly because of off-pitch stuff. So, you know, other than Kane, who I just can't stand. And the irony is, I'm talking about all these exciting, big, talented players that, that England have. And the irony is, Kane might be the best of all of them. It pains me to say yeah. it. But I just hate him so much, I don't want to think about it. Like, I literally yeah. want to put my thumb over that part of the screen when I watch England, because then I think it'd be more enjoyable. Um, but Clive, I mean, when you look at what England face, there are some really exciting, good teams in this tournament. Belgium certainly at the tail end of their golden generation. But the ones you're going to be looking out for are Portugal, Germany, and France. Because one of those teams mm. has a date with England, assuming England tops their group. Now, England may not top their group, but... Any of those teams can be a match for England. Is there one that you'd, I mean, that you'd be more inclined to say that's the one I'd take if I had to? 
Yeah, all, all three of them are pretty average. Don't win many major tournaments between them. <laughs> I mean, uh, you've got the so, yeah. the the reigning Euro champions. You've got like world eight-time champion. World Cup champion, whatever the hell Germany is, and the reigning yeah, world just, champions in France. Pretty decent. Just when you thought Germany were rubbish, they won their one of their uh, friendly seven the other day, and I watched the game. I thought, bloody hell, you'll you'll get your rolling into form. Well, you know what's going to happen, right? Havertz and Werner all of a sudden are going to turn up back to their Bundesliga form for no reason. <laughs> It's actually, it's actually quite interesting watching these games because sort of we're starting to, well, I'm starting to learn more players from more parts of the world, and so I can see them more and I can scout them and do what I, what I like doing. And so, you know, I think Portugal is an untapped country really when it comes to talent. They seem to land in the Premier League and do quite well. They seem to cope, you know, quite quickly. So they're ones to watch. Um, I watch, he's a bit Ronaldo-centric when you watch them. You know, everything goes to him and he's shooting. A bit like Kane, he's shooting, doesn't even look over his shoulder. Doesn't doesn't put his hand up and say, sorry, I'm shooting, that's it. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how they develop past Ronaldo going forward. Because so much young talent, so much young, bright talent that can really play both sides of the ball. I mean, goodness. France are just, France are just messing about, really. They literally are messing about, and in some ways, I think they're stronger when they won the World Cup. I think they're more sure of themselves, positionally. They brought Benzema in, so the, the one weakness they had was potentially a centre forward, even though he scores lots of goals. They brought in a guy that's absolutely smooth as silk to play well, and, and Mbappe's gone up to another level too now. I mean, that's a big yeah. difference. Yeah, and he's just sitting there waiting to just cut you straight in your throat the moment you the moment you look the wrong direction. He's just gone straight past you. So. Pogba looks as he looks completely at home in almost the Bruno Fernandez role. You know, he's allowed to just get on the ball. Whereas at Manchester United, he's got to be more different. So he's a totally different player. Kante's Kante's, pretty decent. Yeah. <laughs> Kante's doing all right. He could do with him, he could do with being a bit more mobile, if you can ask me. But apart from that, he's not bad. And so, yeah, it's it's and Germany are finding a new young set of players. You know, alongside their older players, but you know they've still got Canabri, the Havertz, obviously in Werner. Post the Champions League final, will be boost, boosted confidence. Some of their central defenders, oh, I'm not so sure about them, but yeah, they are still Germany, right? So England have got a massive game where if they get through, which we hope they will, and I would not be able to call it. I couldn't call it, no chance. And this is why I think he's got such a challenging time. The Southgate, because there's lots of expectation on him. And I think it's almost like, what's the degrees of failure? You know, that's a terrible thing to say. I think success will purely be in the result, absolutely in the result. Just be, and I'm afraid he may not be able to please everybody. In fact, I know he won't. He will absolutely not be able to please us all unless the results are right. So good luck to him. I remember many years ago, Tim, Thomas Rosicki signs for Arsenal, goes to the World Cup, scores from 25 yards out against the United States to put a dagger in the hearts of American fans. I'm going to throw you a scenario. First mm. round of the knockouts, England draw Portugal, who finished second in their group. Ruben Neves, 25-yard screamer. Game ends. England are out. Arsenal announces his signing. How do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, I'd be excited because, like, as, as soon as England go out, I kind of, um, you know, I I. I Put it all put back, on, back on, on the it. shelf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that you know that that would be kind. Of, that that would be. Yeah, I, I'd get over it. Put it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it is it is a group that will be must watch every time it's on. Is one of those teams head and shoulders above for you? Is it France, or are we maybe underrating 
Portugal and Germany. I mean, there, so, there's enough talent at any one of those teams, in my view, to win to win the whole tournament. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think Portugal are really strong as well. And, and I think Portugal looks stronger than Belgium because Belgium, a bit like England, not so great at the back. Whereas I look at Portugal and they're strong all the way through the team, same as France. Germany is such a weird one because their squad is so, so good. Like their midfield three is unreal. They, they've been playing uh, Kimmich as a, as a number six, but they've decided, I think, and, and this is um, all part of the dysfunction over under Yogi Love, who, who really should have gone years ago now. Um, but they've put him back to right back, I think, so that they can get Tony Cruz and... Uh, and Gundogan into midfield. I mean, that's not bad either. And like Muller doesn't even start. Like their squad is absolutely unreal. But I just, I just can't see them doing anything. And no one talks about Gundogan, who was sensational for yeah. City this season. You know, yeah, and, and, and Gnabry and Muller and Hertz, yep. and Havertz and Werner and Kimmich. It's insane. But they, they, they're kind of similar to Chelsea in that they haven't really got that centre forward. They've been playing Gnabry um, in a very free role, like almost like a false nine role. And he he has been the only real success. Like Love tried to move on from the 2014 team. He tried to leave Hummels and, um, and Boateng and uh, Muller out, and that didn't really work. But Gnabry, was, Gnabry and Kimmich are the, are the two players who really kind of took control of the team a little bit. But yeah, a bit like Chelsea. I mean, they literally have Havertz and Werner, but they, they don't have that kind of... They don't have a Lukaku or a Kane um, or an Mbappe really up front. Um, and they're just... I mean, they lost to, to North Macedonia um, recently. <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're just... I, I think they could be like the disaster of the tournament like that they might go through as one of the best third place teams in that group but honestly I, I could see them repeating their world cup and going out portugal and france i think look really really strong the, the other team i think look really strong that maybe some people are sleeping on is italy who had a perfect uh, record in qualification and they they've done uh, again they probably lack a brilliant striker but they've got they've got some real talent in midfield um, as well. They've got some doubts over Verratti, but if they don't have Verratti, they just slot Jorginho in, who does a lot of the same things. So it's not mm. an absolutely enormous loss. They they look really really strong. Italy, I think the winners will come from one of those three teams: France, Portugal, or Italy. You want to talk midfield, by the way? Spare a thought for Croatia's midfield, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and still has Luka Modric playing at an incredibly high level. Clive, could you make an argument back to front if you if you wanted to say strength at every position? Could you make an argument for Portugal being the best team in the tournament in terms of of one to eleven? Because I mean, Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, they're pretty good. Pepe's still playing at an enormously high level in midfield. I mean. They can get all kinds of talent in there from Andre Silva, Moutinho, Ruben Neves, Carvalho. They have Bruno Fernandes, and if they want, they have the new Bruno Fernandes and Goncalves. Um, you know, up front, they have a guy named Cristiano Ronaldo, and on either side of him, Bernardo Silva and Diogo Jota. Um, it's it's pretty scary. I mean, that that's a team you could talk about as, as being maybe not the best at every position, but it, just in terms of no real weak point, are they are they being overlooked? I mean, it's hard to say overlooked. They yeah. won they won the last Euros, you know, but it was yeah, five years ago. Champions. now. 
Yeah. Hello, champion. Then yeah, yeah, you missed out, Joe Felix, right? So uh, oh, yeah, I think, that's right. Mm-hmm. And he's not bad. Right? So, yeah, he scores think, a billion. Yep. Mm-hmm. This they've they've got a strong squad. I think the, the weak point really is who they put next to um, Diaz. They use Jose Font or Pepe, and they're both hundred six. Yeah, but Pepe so, was pretty good this season, still, right? Like he was. Still I don't good. care. Okay, I don't just care. Just too old, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they're, they're, that's it's just a weak point. It doesn't mean they're going to not play very well. It just means that you know, Fonte won the league for with um with Lille, right? And he's one of the major players there. But um, so yeah, I'm not saying they're bad players. I'm just saying if you're looking for a weakness, he's probably there and potentially left back. I watched them last night. They played a young kid there called Mendes. I think his name is. He looked great, by the way. I was looking at him for Arsenal. But he's right, 18. Right back there, okay, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, right back there, fine. He's 18. Him. I looked at him and thought, Crikey, you look good for 18. But he's 18. I'm not sure he's going to be their first pick. They've got Guerrero, I think, that plays out there. So they, they've got some nice players. But like just much like England, it's about getting the balance right. And when Tim was talking about Germany there, you know, he, he's absolutely right about Kimmich. And he got Goretzka can't get in that team. Right? So... And he's a major player for, for Bayern Munich. So it's it's a bit of fantasy football. It is a bit, what do you do under pressure? These international games, because there's a different pressure, not so much on the pitch, but the reaction to events. And that does affect you when you're when you're put in the hot seat, per se. So, um, yeah, I don't worry. You know, I look at it and I can't wait to see it. But I've looked at France, I've looked at Portugal in the recent games, and they look comfortable in their own skin. They really do. So it's difficult to see past those. Yeah. You have uh, a well, pick I did, to- hear, I did hear today, sorry, one last thing. I did hear today, I don't know if it's true, but I heard when Tim was talking about Italy midfield, I think I heard Locatelli got injured today. Oh, that's a shame. In training. And taking a set piece, and he could be in doubt for the tournament, which would be a real shame if that's true. But... He just goes to show you that's another thing to watch out for is injury. A lot of these players have had a, a rough time you know, post in the COVID world, so let's see how they'll hold up. Yeah, well, that that would be a shame because he is he is really a special player. Um, who, who do you have winning it all? Give me two two teams. Uh, I, I've got to say France. Um, I, I can't see past France or Portugal. Mm. That's my two teams, and they're in the same group. It's crazy because one of them is going to probably face England, and yeah, that, I I can't get over that. That's a shame, but also very very fun. Uh, Tim, who you got? Yeah, I mean, I could see a France Portugal final, but for the sake of difference, I'm going to say Italy. I've just I've just got a good feeling for them, and I think that I think that people have slept on them a bit. I think also. Um, I, I think experience, uh, you know, I've always said that I think experience is the most overrated attribute in football. I don't think at international level and they've got Chiellini and Bonucci at centre half, um, not young uh, by any means, but both brilliant and Italy play in a way like when Belgium's centre backs are around about the same age, but Belgium try and play quite high up. It, Italy don't. And I, I really think that those two in defense, I think defence is when you international tournaments and uh yeah i just fancy those two center backs to to be really really tough to beat i think the reason people sleep on them too is syria has really fallen off 
And I don't think people watch it as closely as they may have once upon a time. Yeah. And so players that are excelling in Syria, I think either people aren't as aware of them or just assume it's because the league has has gone down. So that'll be an interesting yeah. thing to watch for. And Italy haven't done anything for ages yeah. um, as well. It's just the last couple of years they've, they've got really good. And they got Mancini in who, again, like international you know, it's a slightly lower, like you've got Roberto Martinez managing Belgium. Like you've got some managers who've gone to the international game to try and rebuild their coaching reputations. And Italy have got Mancini, who perhaps not quite at the absolute elite club level where he has managed, but he's kind of better than international level. Um, So I think that's quite an interesting dynamic as well. Yeah. Well, let's leave it there. I think that covers it. Um, We will have our first Euro Daily tomorrow, I would imagine, and then all throughout the tournament carrying you through it and still have Arsenal Vision podcast um, as there's Arsenal news breaking and things to talk about with Arsenal. And also, uh, Tim, Clive, certainly come on the Euro Daily with yeah. me and Phil, please. Um, I can do some instead of America me. stuff as well. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a blast too. And um, I can cover the United States doing whatever CONCACAF is doing. I genuinely don't know what it is. Um, uh, Copa America South would be great. I'm trying to learn these Brazilian players because I think we're going to buy a couple. So, and Tim knows a lot. <laughs> so I look forward to that. Tim, this Copa America, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to do another podcast on how it got moved, where it got moved to, and whether that was the best interest for anybody. Um, but I'd be very curious to see how that pans out. But the less said right now, the better. I think we should leave it there. And... Indeed. Again, please come join us in Vegas if you're able. We will do stuff in London. There was an event planned right before the pandemic hit that got canceled, and that stinks. But Vegas, August 19 to 22nd at the win is going to be really special, and a lot of people already sort of tentatively booking it. So I want to get those dates out before we announce it next week officially. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. My name's Elliot Smith. Nope. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Thank you very much. We, we pod together so much, do I even have to say hello and goodbye to you? Uh, my name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Transfer window note. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.